0: Accelerating careers in real estate with Nick Carmen brought to you by McDonald and Company. This evening I'm sat with James Shepherd, Managing Director for Cadans Sinus Partners. Cadans is a Dutch-based real estate developer owned by AXA since uh, December 2020. Now I'm very much looking forward to discussion for two reasons. First, Life Sciences, as no one could have missed, has been at the very forefront of the real estate psyche since the pandemic and seen a huge explosion of new and existing real estate players in the UK launching their very own life science real estate solutions. But second, James is one of my favourite types of guests to have on the show. He's not a real estate native, but someone who has chosen a real estate career later in life. So, James, thank you very much for uh, for joining me.
1: Thanks, Nick. Yeah, thanks for having
0: me. So, let us started. Yeah, tell us how Chapter One begin.
1: So, I guess when I think how my career kind of unfolded, I think back to those kind of sixth form careers sessions that that everybody who's listened to this would have had in in one shape or another. And all I remember thinking is everything that has been put forward to me as a career sounds incredibly dull. And that was a mixture of yeah go and be a doctor, go and be a lawyer, you know, let's call it templated easy things and I always felt to myself that that wasn't really where I kind of wanted to go. I, di- I didn't know where I wanted to go but all I knew is where I didn't want to go. I'd always had a love of science, you know, my, my family comes from a sort of mixture of engineering and, and medical backgrounds, it's been, been an important part of my life kind of ever since I was a small child. So, I knew I wanted to do something with science, but always loved the kind of more more commercial aspect. So, yeah, those those six form university sessions were the the founding uh, elements, I guess. And then I went forward to uh, to King's College London and studied pharmacology and, and molecular genetics, and then quite quickly realised that I wasn't cut out for working in a laboratory. I don't have the patience to stand at a lab bench all day, but. I really loved the science and I remember one particular lecture, a guy called Professor Page, who was a world-leading professor but also spent most of his time talking to us about the company he'd founded. And I found that fascinating and I really got into the kind of cross-section between science and business and that was, I guess, the kind of founding piece and the last piece of the puzzle from, from my perspective was I love the science. I didn't want to be a scientist, but I love the commercial side of it. So after leaving university, I, I kind of moved around a little bit, couldn't quite find the right niche, always working in biotech, um, life science markets of, of one description or another, working predominantly kind of market research, consultancy type type jobs for the first few parts of my uh, my career but I never found anything that was ticking all the boxes. I found parts of it, I found elements that were interesting, but I never really found the right thing. And then I guess what set me off on the, on the real estate journey was I, I was having one of those moments where you're kind of at a crossroads and you're thinking, right, I either stick with the, the consultancy life that I was, I was going down or, or I do something completely different. And I, and I chose the completely different route and went forward and, and got a job at Cancer Research UK, but working full time at the Francis Crick Institute. And I had this fascinating job at the Crick where I was effectively a middleman between the scientists, the construction programme and the philanthropic campaign. And that led me to being exposed to some, some very senior men and women who were donating to the philanthropic campaign. But a lot of those people were from real estate backgrounds and they wanted to know why the building was designed the way it was, you know, why the nectar grosses were particularly uh, of interest and you know, why, what, what made it different to a normal lab or a normal office. So I learned so much about design development and ultimately delivery of these highly technical spaces. And that was the the spark, I guess, if you like, which set me off on the on the real estate uh, real estate journey, which took me to where I am today. So I got to the end of uh, of my time at the Francis Crick Institute when when the building had completed, and there wasn't really a role for me going forward. That that was fine. I would always signed up to uh, signed up to that, and I'd started sort of looking around across the market around what next, and you know it, the crick is a hugely unique building for for many respects both in terms of the real estate but also the people there and i have a very personal and professional attachment to the curriculum i I met my wife while i was there and it's a building that's that's pretty hard to top so i found it a little bit difficult to be honest looking around what was what was next and uh, and i came across uh, imperial college london and what they were trying to do at their new campus in in white city and it really became obvious that that was going to be the kind of next step. I didn't know what the role looked like. I didn't know what the timing would be was going to be, but that was the next major science and technology development happening in, in the UK at the time. And I knew I kind of wanted to be a part of it. So I was fortunate enough that I managed to, to get a role working for the university and moved across and helped them with the White City campus. And in particular, I helped them with the formation of the new Imperial Incubator which sat in the first building on the campus which was the iHub and that was a highly laboratory focused space but working instead with academics working with spin-out companies of the university and commercial entities who had a very different approach to real estate than academic institutions so I started to kind of piece together the puzzle of, of what the differences were between academia commercial, as well as then factoring in the, the common denominator of the laboratory space across the two. And that was a fascinating experience. And I spent several very happy years working at uh, at Imperial. And I, I also supported on, a, on another project there called the Imperial Enterprise Lab, which is the more kind of uh, student entrepreneurship centre. It's not a, not a lab as such, more of a kind of hotbed of, of innovation focused predominantly on students. So I twinned my experience on the real estate side with the let's call it innovation startup elements. And I guess coming towards my time or coming towards the end of my time at Imperial, the the commercial side of the activity was the piece which was really starting to uh, to interest me more and more and more. And that would have been what, around 2016, 2017. And there wasn't really anybody in the market whatsoever who was looking at commercial life science real estate at that point. There was a few smaller players, but, you know, it was really, you were a bit of a weird niche and not
0: that many people kind of uh, kind of knew what you wanted to do. That's what, I mean, if I could just interject, that's that's what struck me as you were talking. You're, you're mid-20s at this point? Uh, yeah, mid to late 20s. Yeah. Mid to late 20s. And you've spotted something that you know to to most big businesses even today now is the holy grail you know, how do, how do we translate the the academia the innovation into a real estate solution and you found yourself right in the middle of this this sort of nexus you know at at this very early stage of your your career um and you seem to be, and you seem to be finding solutions to this that, like I said, people are still struggling with today. People with decades more, ex, more experience. Did you, did you feel unique at this time? Did you feel special?
1: No, is is the honest answer. I just felt like I was supporting a really exciting group of companies, and I was, I was just enjoying it. I was just having fun. I never really. Looked outwards. It was only m- more in the last kind of couple of years that I've had the opportunity to reflect and look back on that kind of quite pivotal moment in my
0: career. Did Imperial know what they would they were cracking at this time? Do you think?
1: Yes, I think they did. Maybe not at the scale that it now is, but they certainly did. You know, the the first Imperial incubator was opened in um, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. So you know, they were very much from a UK perspective pioneers in this sort of uh, this sort of segment where they were supporting their spin-out businesses by providing the physical infrastructure that they needed and they've been doing this for for many many years so they definitely knew what they were doing i don't think anybody really knew the potential or the scale that it could get to fascinating
0: right sorry I, inter- I interrupted please please go back i am really enjoying the story yeah so we
1: I, i'd finished a s- several projects at imperial by that time I was beginning to find the uh, public sector slash academic world a little bit slow and a little frustrating in that we had lots of fantastic ideas of what we wanted to do and how we were going to do it, but it wasn't necessarily core to the university's mission, which is obviously education and research. And as such, it's unfair to say there were roadblocks, but yeah, it wasn't the university's core mission, so we we were always limited about about what we could do. But at this by this moment in time, I was all in on the kind of commercial real estate world and how it was going to work and how it was going to function. And I found myself during my final few months at Imperial being contacted by a lot of you know, household developers, um, you know, sorry, household names in the development world, who. We're starting to think about broadly innovation. So not necessarily laboratories, but how can we bring more innovation and more interesting companies into our into our portfolio? So I I'd been talking to senior people at lots and lots of different firms, both on the development side, but also on the advisory side as well. And it quite quickly became apparent that I knew a lot, but there was also an awful lot I didn't know. And I needed really to upskill myself on the traditional kind of commercial metrics you know yields and rents and IRRs and all of this kind of more financial side of things because I hadn't really had to do any of that up to that point in my career I'd just been building and, and letting space and that had been great so I was really fortunate to have the opportunity to join Cushman and Wakefield where I'd never seen myself in a kind of commercial brokerage of any description. It never really been on my career path. But they took a risk on me. You know, I didn't have any real estate qualifications. I had a unique skill set, but one that wasn't necessarily twinned with what else they were doing across their business. And Cushman took a took a risk on me. And I joined and you know I was very fortunate to learn to be surrounded by some great people and and learn all about the Let's call it traditional real estate metrics that, that are so important. But I wasn't, I think with Cushman, I, I maybe got the timing slightly wrong in that when I joined, you know, life science real estate was still this sort of quite quirky little niche and nobody was really prepared to put any capital to play. This is obviously before COVID and, and yeah. everything else that happened. So to be honest, I found myself having the same conversation with with developers time and time again and it really wore me down and it was just dull.
0: So you mentioned then you hadn't foreseen yourself going into a brokerage role. So I did I did want to ask in terms of, sort of you mentioned a little bit about sort of you know what you were learning but how easy was it for you to get up to speed in in what I presume was a very different environment than one you'd been ex- uh, explored before where science was presumably was the was the common denominator in in everything. And what's how how easy was it for you to to be able to develop those real estate skills with it within in the brokerage style?
1: It was difficult and it took a lot of a lot of effort, you know, you'd you do your kind of 9 to 5 job, but then you'd go away and spend all evening reading and learning and, and trying to make sure when you went into the next meeting you you sounded like you knew what you were talking about. And in the first probably three or four months there, I right, I was sort of finding myself thinking, oh my God, have I made a mistake here? I really I really am out of my depth in a lot of these conversations. And I think over time I started to get more comfortable talking about the traditional sort of real estate metrics and how it was going to work and, and all of that that side of things. But you know, there was a period of sort of three to six months where I really had to put in some intense studying let's say to make sure that I wasn't sounding like a a fool And I I think there was a a kind of an interesting point of realization during that where I was I was still young at that point and I was going into meetings with very senior men and women who'd been doing this for decades or doing real estate for decades Mm -hmm. I should say and I was trying to educate them on a sector that they'd had nothing to do with and had no no knowledge of. And I found that transition quite challenging, you know, as a a young man trying to push forward and make your way and make your mark. And it took me a little while to build up the confidence and actually realise that, you know what, I do know an awful lot more than these people do and be confident in my ability to present the data, present the opportunity, whatever whatever it may be, and realise that actually I did know what I was talking about and I was adding value as opposed to just sitting there and, and, and talking at them. So that transition alongside the, I guess, the educational aspect of learning about the real estate market, how it functioned and the metrics that went along with it, provided kind of two quite interesting but difficult moments in my career where I really was questioning oh my god have I have I done the right thing here and over time during that period things got easier and I started learning more and started being more comfortable in in talking about what I was doing and the subject matter and and everything else that it actually started to come naturally and, and I realized that I was feeling more and more comfortable and yeah that was a kind of a nice Nice turning point, but it took it took six months or so of my time with Cushman to to get comfortable in that sense.
0: Was there anything you you did that you think benefited that um, that learning curve, or is or equally, you know the opposite? Of that question is there anything you think you should have done that could have helped speed it up?
1: So I made a point when I first moved across to meet everybody and read everything I possibly could and I've I've always been a learner who well I've always learned best by doing and you know even back at school and looking at exams you know I wasn't someone who would just sit there and memorize a textbook you know I had to be more practical and find different ways of learning and actually going out and talking to people and making sure that I found out bits of information and and was more knowledgeable than everybody uh, was really important. I think if I had my, my time again, I think I probably would formalize my training a little bit more. I think, you know, even as I I go through my career today, there are still things that I would argue are gaps in my knowledge. You know, those gaps are, are getting smaller all the time, but they're still gaps. And I would probably try and formalize my training on the real estate or finance side, a little bit earlier on in my career, just to give me that solidity and, I guess, comfort that I knew it and I could kind of tick that box. So that would definitely be something that I would look to look to change if I could if I could go back in
0: time. Okay, well, as I I interrupted. You know, you um you explained that sort of the the pace of the of the learning and and possibly the challenge within sort of Cush, Cushmans wasn't exciting, exciting you. What did it lead to?
1: So the first thing it led to was a tremendous knowledge about the market. You know, from the big players to the small players, to the generalists to the specialists. And Cadans was a name that kept coming up in that specialist category. And bizarrely, I'd already had an interaction with Cadans back when I was at Imperial College. One of Cadans's first purchases in the UK was an acquisition from Imperial College. So although I had nothing to do with that transaction, uh, I'd had come across the name and come across the brand. And as I dug more and more into the specialist brands, as opposed to the generalists, I was more and more excited about the prospect of what Cadans were doing. And I didn't know at the time what their plans were in the UK. And I sent a... Very, very speculative email to the CEO, Michelle, and the chief investment officer, Stein, just said, look, if you're in London, do you fancy having lunch? And, you know, I'm working at cushman Wakefield. this is my background, it'd be great just to chat to you. And originally, you know, I had my Cushman hat on and it was kind of a business development lunch. But in the intervening period when they kindly responded to when we had lunch, I actually started thinking to myself, I wonder if there's more of an opportunity for me here. And fast forward to uh, to that lunch, we went, had a great time, we chatted. turns out our view of the science and innovation market was very, very similar. There was a market failure, not enough space being provided, not enough specialist space being provided. And Cadence was really the only company that at that moment in time was... Attempting to correct this market failure across multiple countries across Europe and I left that lunch with clarity that I wanted to work for a specialist in this sector and felt that my skill set that I'd acquired to date was well suited to to that type of organisation.
0: So James, if you allow me then, if we if we then if we jump into when you first start with Kadans, and you mentioned it this was late 2020, so around about September 2020, I said in my introduction that AXA acquired Cadans in December of that same year. Did that change the trajectory? Did that change the business you thought you were joining?
1: It did. I think when I joined Kadans. I went in with my eyes open, you know, I I knew the business was going to be traded at some point in the near future. I didn't know when, I didn't know who to, but I knew that there was going to be some activity. And as the only person in the UK at the time, working from my loft as we were sort of mid COVID at that point, not being able to see any of my Dutch colleagues, it was Quite lonely as we were going through that process, and a little bit, a little bit scary because I didn't know much about AXA at the time. I didn't know what their plans were for us as a business going forward. The, my colleagues were, were brilliant and you know reassuring and all of that good stuff, but I was still very, very new into into the business, and you know the the, the age old saying of. Last in first out was, was was sort of playing on my mind a little bit, but very, very quickly from sort of January 21 onwards, it became apparent that AXA were going to supercharge our growth and we're going to propel Kadans to the next level. To well, I don't think we finished well, we certainly haven't finished our growth yet, but you know, we're a completely different business now to what we were when, when they acquired us two years ago, and it's been A heck of a ride, but one that has been built on a very open, honest and transparent dialogue between myself, our board, our supervisory board and Axel themselves. And, you know, that's a quality that I've really valued from them as a business, but also from our own internal stakeholders is everything is done in front of you as opposed to behind your back.
0: I wanted to ask you something that you know, I've been I've been thinking about since since we started talking. You know, I, I mentioned about you not being a a real estate sort of native. Is Cadans a real estate company, or is it a tech company?
1: So we're a real estate company. We're a real estate developer, and there's no real hiding that. You know, if you look at what we've done, the good stuff over the past several years, it's development led. I think. What sets us apart is the more softer services. We, we, we call them ecosystem services. And those elements which are more innovation-led, technology-led, often are at the forefront of everything that we do. And it can, from the outside, look like that we are sort of an innovation technology company rather than a real estate development company. I wouldn't say that that was a deliberate ploy. It's just... We know that those ecosystem services are to a large extent, the reason that a lot of our tenants choose a cadence building over one of our competitors. So they are front and center of everything that we try to do. And that allows us to have different conversations with tenants. And if I think back to earlier in my career at Imperial College, you know, I wasn't talking to tenants about real estate. I was talking to them about their business and how they wanted to grow and where they wanted to grow and their funding cycles and all of this good stuff. And that knowledge is exactly what we use in our ecosystem services at The Real estate is almost an afterthought because they know that they are going to be joining an ecosystem, a community with like-minded businesses that are going to help them grow and help them develop. The real estate side of things they trust us to get on with and they trust us to deliver it because we've got a track record now of 20 plus years of being able to do that
0: so we've 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 spent a little bit now talking about cadans and talking about life sciences but back to the original story we're just starting out your journey at cadans into in 2020 team of one it's not the case now is it i think you mentioned that we have now a team of 14 so tell me a little bit more about how how Your journey within the growth of that business has been affected, and maybe some of the challenges you faced.
1: Yeah, so when you're a a team of one, you know, it makes sense that you have to do everything. You know, you're the HR department, you're the finance department, you're the asset manager, you're the development manager. And I, I quite enjoyed that. I quite enjoyed doing everything and having the free reign to do everything. But that isn't sustainable, and you can't build a significant business with one person doing everything. So as we started building the business and bringing on board experts in asset management and development, I found myself transitioning a little bit from somebody who was doing everything, so an operator, if you like, into a leader. And as somebody who, throughout my career, I've been a, a doer and I've always been uncomfortable sitting on the sidelines and watching and i'm sure my colleagues would tell you i'm not a great delegator and it's been personally a challenge and you know i'm very fortunate that i have a have a business coach now who is it's fantastic she's been really helping me try and unpick the challenges and 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 changes through as i develop from a yeah an operator into a leader and it's it's not a transition that i'm done with and I, i still think i need some elements to work on but I'm delighted with the team that we've got they're really high performing fantastic men and women who are doing really really great stuff and increasingly my job is to to get out of their way but I have found that transition challenging to move from yeah somebody who's doing everything to somebody who is steering the ship
0: you gave us some good insight uh, before about what you would have done in hindsight what do you think is the most important lesson you've learnt as a leader what would you have liked to have learned earlier in that journey
1: so i think the lesson that i've learned is ask for help is probably the best way to describe it and i think i took the approach to my personal development very similarly to took my approach to everything else which was i'm sure i can probably do it myself and i can teach myself how to do it but actually having bit of formal training alongside just a really brilliant sounding board has allowed me to change and develop even in the past past six months which you know isn't isn't a huge amount of time and if I was looking back I would bring on board that personal a personal development plan much much earlier and it, and it's hard you know when you're in the thick of it trying to build a business trying to buy assets and develop assets you don't necessarily put your personal development plan high on your to-do list and I think if I was looking back and had my time again I would definitely pay more attention to my leadership development and my manage- managerial skills earlier on in the kind of cadence development.
0: Well, I think it's a really important lesson for for everyone to to take heed of well let's get back on let's get back on track then. We're talking about so the development of the business. You've you've amassed now a team of sort of 14. I think it's probably fair fair to you. We haven't we haven't talked about sort of what was the, the biggest sort of I thought saw the headlines was about the Cadans the and the Canary Wharf group, one million square foot of, of life sciences space at on the wharf. You know, do you have more of these in uh, uh, in the making? Or do we ever see more headline steals from them from Cadans?
1: Definitely. You know, we as a business, are not are not done growing, and I think the transition that we've made from, you know, doing small deals in smaller markets to doing front page of the newspaper type deals like the Canary Wharf one, is somewhere we as a business see ourselves going more and more is doing those bigger deals. You kadan's's know, history has always been opportunistic value add investors who were geographically agnostic but increasingly we see ourselves as the European leader and as such we need to be in markets and in locations that are fitting of a European leader. So there are definitely more and more of those types of eye-catching deals in the pipeline and I think 2023 is certainly going to showcase a few more of those types of uh, those types of opportunities and Maybe not necessarily in the UK, but, you know, we're doing lots of work across multiple geographies in Europe now. And you know, we see continued opportunity to grow on, uh, on the continent.
0: If you let me, I'd like to change things up a little bit at the moment. I'd like to be, um, pick up the, the pace of some of these, these questions as we start now to, to, to turn our attention from looking backwards to looking forwards. So first one is, has your opinion of success changed over time? You know the James who was you know, who uh, who sort of left university with uh, their sort of science qualifications through to James now who leads a, a multinational real estate development company. Do you still have the same measure of success?
1: Yes and no. I think personally, success for me is always been: am I satisfied, motivated, and excited? And I, I've had moments in my career that I have been and moments that I haven't been. And I'm definitely on one of those kind of more satisfying parts of the journey at the moment. I think commercially, I've always tried not to look too far ahead and make sure that where we're going is sustainable. So I, don't, I, I would never say that I, I've put goals and objectives in my career of you know, by X, Y, Z date, I need to be doing A, B, C. I've always been much more of a reactive person when it's come to my career. And, and, and another word to describe that is opportunistic. And I absolutely have been. So yes, yeah, it's, it's a difficult question to answer because I've never really had that personal success. Corporate-wise, we have the great KPIs and all of that kind of good stuff. And we're, as a business, we're well on track to uh, to exceed our, uh, our our set objectives.
0: Okay. Next question then, what's the greatest challenge career-wise for you coming up next?
1: I think the greatest challenge for me coming next is is sort of one and the same, really. It's leadership and motivation. Is It's no secret that the market is a little bit challenging at the moment, and you know, it's hard not to get sucked into a lot of that negativity, when the reality is that as a business, we're really, really doing well on a positive trajectory. And the next challenge for me is around how do I motivate and continue to motivate my team to perform at the very, very highest level when there are significant challenges which surround not only the business, but the market as well.
0: So before we wrap up, there's two more questions James, I, wanted, I wanted to ask. Given the way in which you've described your journey through academia and then how you've learnt, I I wanted to ask, what is the greatest talent that you've had to learn during your career?
1: So for me, the thing that I've really had to work hard at and and, and teach myself is being more extroverted. I'm naturally a very introverted character and actually never really sought the limelight as such. But because of the way that the cadance business has, has developed, and the way that we want to develop the business going forward, I've had to push myself to you know, sit on panels, to, to do things like this, and be much more extroverted. And I've really had to work hard at making sure that I'm able to impart some, however small, bit of knowledge it may be, and. It's hard in a, in a real estate world where it's often who shouts the loudest wins. So pushing myself to make sure that not only Kadans, but I am at front and center of lots of these different conversations has been a skill that I've really had to learn, and it has come throughout my career. You know, I think that from my time at Imperial, from you know the Crick institute was a huge public project that meant that you know that's really where my external profile started to gain traction and I've had to, to teach myself how to be extroverted when the situation demands it rather than sitting in a corner and being being the introvert that I uh, that I typically am
0: okay and then last question I wanted to ask is is more market you you are in a privileged position to know more about this market that is stealing all the real estate headlines at the moment so it'd be a shame not to ask someone who's, who, uh, who's in such a position of privilege there. How big can the life sciences market become?
1: So it's definitely on an upward trajectory at the moment and still has quite a long way to run, I think. How big can it get is, is, is really down to, to lots of different factors. You know, The UK's scientific base is incredibly strong and has been for, for decades, if not longer, Where we've lacked behind is the infrastructure to allow those companies or academics to to continue to innovate and continue to create. I think that trajectory is stronger in places like London, Oxford and Cambridge. But increasingly, if you look outside of that into markets like Bristol, like Manchester, like Glasgow, like Edinburgh, Newcastle, really strong scientific areas that don't have the physical infrastructure required to build laboratory-focused businesses. That's where I think there's still a real opportunity in the UK for that side of things to grow. The life science market as it sits today in the UK is, is quite an interesting one in that there's a lot of people shouting about it, a lot of people talking about it. However, I can probably still count on one hand the number of people who've actually got spades in the ground and are actually delivering this stuff. So there's a little bit smoke and mirrors, I think, at the moment in the science and technology market in the UK. There are some people doing some fantastic stuff, but there are also some people who are talking a good game, but not actually doing anything.
0: Well, James, on that, on that note, we've got to wrap it up. Um, so I have found this fascinating, not only sort of your, your unique perspective to uh, how you developed your career, um, but also sort of how you've, you find you, uh, yourself now in a leadership position you know, within with this industry as well and sort of benefiting from the experience that you've had. So James, thank you very, very much.
1: Thank you for having me, Nick.